Our reading this morning is taken from the book of Genesis. Steve continues to talk about the sovereignty of God, and there's probably not another story in the Bible (laughs) that illustrates God's sovereignty over not just Israel, but all the world as he used one man to save the world from probably death of of starvation in Egypt. It's found in Genesis chapter 45, the story of Joseph as his brothers come to uh, Egypt seeking grain and he finally reveals himself to them. uh, Genesis 45 verses 1 to 11 Read along with the Bible if you brought it, or one in the pew, or just simply listen to the Word of God. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, And you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, and your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. Therefore, I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that have come, come to poverty. For there are still five years of famine. Let's pray. I know when Joseph was sitting in that jail, he was having a hard time, God, thinking you were in charge and that you still were running his life. And if I were put in his position, I can't even imagine how I would feel, how much faith it would take to believe that somehow you had given me dreams of things you would have for me in the future and I was sitting in a jail rotting and probably going to die there. How hard it is for us sometimes in this world to look around and see all of the physical things around us, the people who are in charge of this world that are evil and hurting others and ruling with foolishness and all the things going on. It's so easy to get lost in that and not see you behind it all. And trust that you are in charge and you have your purposes and they will come to pass. We need that kind of faith. We need that kind of spiritual vision and eyesight that we can look beyond this world and see your hand. Look beyond our circumstances and see your purposes and trust that you are in charge and everything that you desire for us and for this world will come to pass. Help us to believe your word with that kind of faith and see your hand with those kind of eyes. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning.
Glad you could be here this Lord's Day, this second day of July, one day away from the halfway point. We are 162 days, the halfway point will be 100, no, we're 161 days, halfway point is 162 and a half, which is tomorrow at noon, just so you know. But I like to think about time because God leads us through the days and months and years and halfway already, that's amazing. And so anyway, it's good to see you here. I was coming south and down Maybury today, and, and God was giving me lights. You know what I'm saying by that? You've got lights, and sometimes you don't get lights. And I was in the right lane, and, and coming, there's a stoplight there, and there's one car. And middle lane, there's four cars. Well, thank you, Lord. I'm in this lane. There's only one car. And then approaching, the light turns green. And so God is sovereign. God is sovereign over everything. We're talking about God's sovereignty, which means that God rules and reigns over Everything in this universe, every single person, every single animal, every single plant, every single animal over everything. In a way we can understand, God is sovereign over our actions, and yet we are responsible for our actions. This verse in Philippians 2, 12, 13 sums up that thought. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That means it's your responsibility. You work out your salvation, but then... For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's God's sovereignty. We've been looking at the Bible to see specifically how God is sovereign. And we're doing this because you need to know that God is sovereign over your life and over every single aspect of your life. It is a great blessing to learn this lesson. And I will say this to you. A lot of Christians don't know this. Or don't know, they know it like they should to their detriment, to their hurt. God wants you to understand this truth. But not only that, God, thinking about God's sovereignty is God exalting. That's the most important reason for God's sovereignty, that he is exalting, exalted. But it's a great blessing, too, too, for your faith, for your peace, for the hope that God wants to give you. First part of this message is about God's sovereignty over the lives of people. We're going to just go through a number of people and just briefly mention some thoughts. There's so much could be said about each one of these individuals in God's sovereignty in fact, I would say this to you as we start, that as you read the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, you'll see this. Look at the stories you read. Try to discern how God is sovereign in that particular situation. And as you do, you'll be surprised, and you'll be amazed, and you'll be encouraged. Well, look at God, what God is doing. And that's one of the things I would suggest, particularly the Old Testament, particularly the, the history books, and see how God is sovereign. First one, Abraham, Genesis 12, 2, God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. We think of the Jewish people and how God raised them up and made them a great nation. It's because God was sovereign over Abraham and over his family. We read this one verse here in Genesis 18, verse 19. It speaks about this. God says, I have chosen Abram so that he may command his children and household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he promised him. The verse we just read in Genesis 12, God is sovereign. He made sure that that was accomplished, you see. That's what we're saying here. I chose him for this purpose. We go to David, 2 Samuel 7, 8 to 16. There's a number of verses. I'm just going to read a couple here. God's talking to David. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I, I took you from following the flock to be ruler over my people. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I will cut off your enemies before you. Now I will make your name great. So who took David? Who cut off his enemies? Who made his name great? It was God. No one else did it. God was sovereign over David's entire life. With the result, then, that God was exalted and David was eternally blessed. There's this verse, Acts 13, summing up David's life, 1336. For, for David served the purpose of God in his own generation. That's a good kind of, that's a good kind of verse on an epitaph, you know, on, your, on a gravestone. For David served the purpose of God. Might that be said of each one of us. But the thing you have to see here, and we're talking about God's sovereignty. And this big picture here, let me share as we, in the beginning, you'll see it flesh out here in the minutes ahead here. See, God is sovereign, so his purposes can be accomplished, so that he then can be glorified, and so that you then can be blessed. Those four points, God is sovereign, so his purposes can be accomplished, so he is glorified, and so that you then are blessed. That sums it up, okay? That's where we're going. You're going to see this time and time again today. So 
third one, Job, Job 121. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. So succinctly, the Lord gave, right? God is sovereign. The Lord has taken away, God is sovereign. And what's the result? Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord should be glorified because he is sovereign. It says it all right there, just that one verse. Job 1.3 says that Job was the greatest man of the East, and God is the one who made him great. We know the story, Job 1. We know what happened, right? He was great. He had wealth. He had a family. Things were going well. He had his health. And then what happened? God took it all away. Ten children, they died suddenly. He took away his family. He took away his health. He took away his wealth. And God was sovereign, right? God was sovereign. We see bad things happen. People, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. You go through the whole book of Job and people talking back and forth, you know, what's happening? Why is God doing this? And you come to 42, and God blesses them again. It doesn't really so much, as I understand Job, doesn't answer the why. But you see it's for God's purposes, and you see it's for God's glory. I want you to go to, with me to Job 38. I, I, I just love this section here. Um, it's like God is trying to very strongly tell Job and us that he is sovereign. We'll look at a few verses here, Job 38, 1-7. I'm just going to read them quickly. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid his cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Chapter 39, verses 1 and 2. Do you know the time the mountains goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the deer? Can you count the months they fulfill? Or do you know the time they give birth? And what you see in these three chapters here is all these examples of animals and of nature. I mean, it is incredible, instructive about the creation and how God is in charge. God is sovereign over all that. Then we go to chapter 40, verses 1 to 9. Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. You see, as people, we tend to find fault with God. Sometimes you don't realize we're doing it. And God is saying, Hey, I am sovereign. He goes on to say, Then Job answered, The Lord says, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I've spoken, I will not answer. Even twice, I will add nothing more. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, Now gird up your loins like a man. I will instruct you, and you instruct me. Will you really annul my judgment, my sovereignty? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Or do you have an arm like God, and can you thunder with a voice like his? And he goes on. It's, it's a great read. It's so instructive and encouraging to see that. Job 14.5 says, Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you, and his limits you have set so that he cannot pass. Job knew that all the days and all the months of his life were predetermined by God himself. God decided exactly how long Job should live and for what purpose. Amazing. Do you ever think that about your own life? God has determined exactly how long you should live and for what purpose. Sometimes, you know, people die. Well, I, but I always think this of somebody I know. Oh, they passed away. Good friend, relative, their purpose on earth is done. That's how I think. Their life is over. The work that God sovereignly had for them is over. It's a sobering thing, but it's true, and it's, it's good to think that way. It's important to think that way. Jonah. The book of Jonah tells us that God's purposes were fulfilled, were accomplished through Jonah, and that's because God was sovereign over his life and the events surrounding his life. This little book of Jonah, four chapters long, tells us many examples. I'm going to read some very quickly here. God was sovereign. Jonah 1.4, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. Who did it? The Lord. Jonah 1.7, they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah because God is sovereign over the lots. Jonah 1.17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah 4.6, the Lord appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah. Jonah 4.7, God appointed a worm when dawn came and it attacked the plant. Amazing examples. Others too. We see particularly Jonah 3 and how God was sovereign over the city of Nineveh. And it was a great, great, amazing revival. God was sovereign over the salvation of those people there. So God was sovereign over Jonah's life. 
in ways you don't always see and for reasons you don't always know, God is sovereign over your life. A lot of things happen, right? Sometimes you sort of understand, many times you don't. This verse helps us with that. I, this is a very precious verse to me through the years. So, Proverbs twenty twenty four: The steps of man are ordained by the Lord. How then can anyone understand his way? You can't really understand your life. You really can't. To some degree, and sometimes you get frustrated. Lord, I want to know what's going on. He doesn't always tell you. That's the way it is. And I think in heaven you'll have more understanding. Even then, because you're not God, you won't have complete understanding. Okay? But then you'll be able to accept it more fully. But God is sovereign. This, you have to understand this truth. We continue on. Joseph, this is what Steve read, but these are such great verses. Genesis 45. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth. So it was not you who sent me, but God. Then Genesis 50, 20. You intended to harm me, but God meant it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph knew what it meant for evil people to affect his life in a bad way. He understood that. And over time, and I don't know when, I don't know if it started when he was in jail those 13 years and he said, God was sovereign, God had me here for a reason, or maybe later on, we don't know exactly, but sometime during the course of his life, Joseph understood God is sovereign because he said it here. God did it. People meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What an important truth to understand. Boy, this is maybe a bad thing here, but God means it for good. And so Joseph knew this. God was working all things for good and for his purposes. We know specifically the purpose was because there's this big famine. It wasn't for Joseph. The Israelites would have died up in their land, but they came down. They're there for about 400 years. I want you to turn to Psalm 105. It's one of my favorite chapters on the sovereignty of God. We talk about the ultimate purpose of sovereignty, so we praise God. We, we see that here in this chapter. Verse 1, oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his deed, deeds, name. Verse 2, sing to him, sing praises to him. Verse 3, glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. You see the worship. That's how this starts. Then you go on to the sovereignty. You look at verses 8 through, 8 through 11. He has remembered, God has remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac. Then he confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance. That's his plan. In fact, we're going to see this unfold in the years ahead. I'm not exactly sure when, when they are really established in their land. That is the Jews over in Israel and that area of the world. We continue on here in verses 16 to 17. It says, And God called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. God sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. God is sovereign. You know, this, this little hot spell we've been having lately, I, as you know, I don't really like hot weather. It says, God, thank you, because this is hot. Just give us some thunderstorms. I was praying for rain yesterday. He says, I don't usually pray for rain, but Lord, just give us some thunderstorms here. Then I read yesterday about how some geoengineering scientists want to block the sun's light. I thought, oh, give me a break. I can't believe this man's trying to stop the work of God. God is sovereign. That is the truth. We continue on. Next example is Paul. Acts 9.15. This man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. Acts 13.4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. Acts 18.20.21. Paul, taking leave of them, said, I will return to you again if the Lord wills. 2 Timothy 4.17 and 18. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Paul knew that God had chosen him for an extremely important mission, that from beginning to end, God was sovereign over his life. He understood that. It's clear from these verses here. He knew that God was with him all the time, and through the work of the Holy Spirit, God was leading him and using him and would keep him safe all the way to heaven. Next, Jesus, we could say much here. I'm just going to a couple of few examples. Isaiah 7, 14, you know the verse, Behold, a virgin will be with child, will bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Micah 5, 2, As for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Judah. In eternity past, God planned his son's life on earth and every specific detail of his life. And here we see that God was sovereign over the location of his birth, and that he'd be born of a virgin. 
Again, God knew all the details, but he gave us a few little snippets, a few little examples in the Old Testament that came true in the New Testament, in that time, that is, to show, hey, God is sovereign. But everything, he could have given us a thousand details. He just gives us a few. It's, it's encouraging. Zechariah 9, 9, a few more. Your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. Isaiah 53, 3, he was despised and forsaken of, man, forsaken of men, a man of sorrows. Again, a couple of different aspects of God's sovereignty. He was a man of sorrows. That's what God wanted for his life. And specifically, he came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. God was sovereign over that as well. Isaiah 53, this chapter predicts Jesus' death 700 years before it happened. Isaiah 53, probably more than any other chapter in the Old Testament, at least particularly with the reference to Jesus, talks about the purpose of, uh, the, the, the purpose of, uh, of Jesus' life. It talks about his death. That's what's happened there. And what, what we see is God was sovereign. And all those details, and Steve just mentioned the one about him being born in a, being buried in a grave with Richmond. That's one of those point details in Isaiah 53. They all came true because God sovereignly brought it about. Everything you read there, God did it. I mean, you think about that. 700 years beforehand, all the things that have to happen in just the right way for that to happen 700 years later, that's a phenomenal. It's absolutely, you think about this, it's incredible, phenomenal, mind-blowing, encouraging that God does this. Acts 2.23, Jesus was handed over to by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. This, this makes it clear that God planned Jesus' death and was sovereign over his death and was sovereign over the evil people who brought about his death. Turn your Bible, if you have one there, to Acts chapter 4. says a very similar thing. I, I love these two verses. You've heard me share these many times, but I share them in tandem together, because they say a very similar thing, this sovereignty of God, 427 and 28. Truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. That's amazing. You see this. God was sovereign over every aspect of Jesus' death, and again, over evil purpose. That first, to do whatever your hand, to do whatever your hand, whatever evil things your hand, your purpose predestined to occur. This is a tough one here. I'm going to mention something very quickly. Those were evil men that killed Jesus. The most evil deed in the whole face of this earth, all, all, of, all of time, right? What they did. That was the most evil thing. And God was sovereign. He planned it to happen. He wanted it to happen. Yet God was not evil. That's a tough one. Something bad happens. Okay, some disasters. You'll see something the next week or two. Or, whoa, God was sovereign. But he's not evil. Don't ever, ever accuse God of being evil. We can't understand this truth, how there is evil and God is sovereign over it, yet God is still completely perfect, always, perfectly, always holy. Very important truth because God doesn't give you clues about that. Why did that happen? You know, they, they talk about Noah and all those people in the world. I mean, there's a lot of people back then. And they all died but eight. God was sovereign over that evil, right? For his purposes, for his glory. You can't figure that out. I can't either. Just trust the Lord. That's important that you see that. Life, babies, Genesis 18, 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. It's truly amazing that God is sovereign over the birth of every person. If a person wouldn't be born if God hadn't brought it about, right? That's the truth. Every person. Psalm 139, 13 to 15, marvelous verses here. You formed my inward parts. You wove me in a mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Every person who has lived or who has ever lived or ever will live was made by God, right? God created, God made people in a mother's room just the way that he wanted. And there is no evolution. That evil, evil teaching, it's wrong. It's an error. Psalm 119, 73, important verse to see here in this context. It says, your hands made me and formed me. 
in, in Psalm 19, you have all these verses, and, and sometimes the verse is one complete whole. Sometimes it has two parts. This is one of those two-parters. So you look at the first phrase, your, your hand, hands made me and formed me. But why? It's the second part of the verse that tells us why. Very interesting. Give me understanding to learn your commands. God made you a certain way, so why? You could understand his commands. What's a command mean? That means you do what God wants. And when you do what God wants, you are doing what? You are carrying out his purpose. Remember how we said before, God is sovereign, so we fulfill his purposes? That's what it says here. God made me and formed me so I then could learn his commands, could keep his commands. That is then fulfilling his purpose. Wonderful. It's right there, Psalm 119, 73. We keep going. Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I've appointed you a prophet to the nations. Turn to Jeremiah. There's there's a couple other verses I'm going to read in this context here. Jeremiah chapter 1, 9 and 10. And again, it's the whole setup, the whole prelude to the purpose that God had for Jeremiah. Look at verses 9 and 10. The Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Then verses 17 and to 19. Gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all which I command you. Do not be dismayed before them, or I will dismay you before them. Now behold, I've made you today as a fortified city, as a pillar of iron and as walls of bronze against the whole land to the kings of Judah, to its princes, to its priests, the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. The sovereignty of God over Jeremiah's life. So, back to verse 4. This, too, tells us that God created us in his mother's womb. It was not a work of man. It was not some random evolutionary process, but it was God working in a person, a mother, to create somebody for his purposes. That's what we understand. The word appointed means that God made Jeremiah just the way he wanted and for a specific purpose, and we know that purpose is that he would be a prophet. That was his life's work, right? That was his primary work. God makes you a certain way so you can do the work that God wants you to do. There's no no doubt about that at all. This verse here, you know this verse, is we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, to do what God planned beforehand so that we should walk in them. Phenomenal. So God planned all these things for you to do in eternity past, right? God's now working in your life. So you can do what he wants you to do, so you can carry out his purposes. That's it. Wonderful. We are God's workmanship. Whether it's physically being made in a mother's womb or the things you go through life, the things you learn, the things you learn from the the word here, the relationships, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God planned beforehand so that we would walk in them. I like that walk in them. It's like God just leads us, and we're just walking in the work that he wants us to do. Wonderful truth. Okay, God's sovereign over death. 1 Samuel 2, 6, the Lord kills and makes alive. It's pretty stated, pretty simply, right? The Lord kills, the Lord makes alive. Can't get clear. Can't get any clear. If God, God is sovereign over a person's death, sovereign over their life, if somebody's alive, it's because that's the way God wants it. If somebody is dead, because God wanted it. Bottom line. We, we can ask those questions, you know, and I'm sure you, all of you had friends or relatives or somebody that you knew that died, and you, you might have said, why? Why? Why did that happen? Especially if it was unexpected. Suspected is also if it's, it's tragic or unexpected. But God is sovereign. God is so is, is sovereign, just so much more than you realize. You need to see this. Luke 7, 14 to 15. Young man, I say to you, get up. Jesus talking. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. A person died, but Jesus made him alive. And again, God is sovereign. God is sovereign over death. He has power over death. Acts 2.24, God raised Jesus up, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. God raised up Jesus from the dead. And all of us who are saved have eternal life. At the coming of Christ will be raised from the dead, in that we will then be given a brand new glorified body. This is what's going to happen. As sure as you're sitting here, it's going to happen. 
God's going to take you from this earth sometime. You'll be in heaven, and you'll be glorified in the future. That's amazing. That's the truth. This is God's sovereignty. Man, how can I hear him sitting in a little church building here in Tampa, Florida, you know, 2023, July 2nd? Huh? It's going to happen. He's going to keep you going and alive, and pretty soon you're in heaven. Well, that's in a year or 10. We don't know. It's going to happen because God is sovereign. It's wonderful, wonderful truth. And this is one of the most wonderful and important truths about God's sovereignty, that he has power over death. He's sovereign over death. You know, we think about the biggest problem in the world, you know, all kinds of people, how can I live longer and take this medicine? Now you got this transhumanism, how can you give you a brain implant or this or that, you know, make you live to 100 or whatever, or, or if you die, then there's a new robot that looks like you. I mean, they really are thinking about this. And you know what they call? They call the phrase eternal life. These, 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 these unsaved scientists are using the word eternal life. How can I live forever? Boy, they miss it. Boy, it's right here. You can tell them the truth. It's so simple what God says. He can keep us going, and he will by his grace and for his glory. That's what's going to happen. Judgment, 1 Samuel 2, 9. Wicked ones are silenced in the darkness. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Stephen, his prayer, if you recall, was talking about this country and that God is sovereign, and we don't know it. He didn't say it quite like this, but he's, he's behind everything. You, you think about all this going on, and I could give you a whole list of yuck stuff. Yes, perverted. It's just, just God's sovereign. He'll take care of the people. We, you might have heard this phrase, first cause, second cause. I remember Vicky would always, no, not always, say this a lot. She, she understood God's sovereignty. It really helped her with her health, get through the, the tough days and the tough years. But, but she says, well, there's the first cause, and that's God. The second cause is this arthritis I've got. Or whatever happens. You know, some tragic thing and somebody shoots somebody. Well, that's the murderer. Okay, that's true. But God's the first cause. He was sovereign over that murder. That's the truth. Really? Yes, it is. God was sovereign over the murders of people. We'll, we'll see that in the future. We'll look at other verses. Not this Sunday, but in the future. God is holy, powerful, righteous, and sovereign. Therefore, he will judge the sinners. He will punish the wicked. That is what's going to happen. Psalm 9.5. You have rebuked the nations. Talking about God. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. God judges nations. And it's probably Psalm 9 more than any other psalm talks about God's judging nations. You look there, you'll see nations like five, six, seven times. God judges nations and God judges individuals, and this is an eternal judgment which God calls hell. That's the first part. Lake of fire is the second part. And God can do this and does this because he's sovereign. He's sovereign. You all know people who've passed away, and maybe you've thought about their lives and said, you know, I just don't think that person was saved. You probably good evidence. You know, they didn't have the fruits. They weren't walking like Christians. They were doing bad things, and there's no repentance. And so in your mind, you're thinking, and probably rightly so, that person's going to go to hell. Okay? You, you know what I'm saying. This is, these are sobering subjects here, but it's important. God is sovereign. That person is an evil person. God will take that person from this earth, put him in hell, and phase two, the lake of fire. That's what happens. We talk about so many things. This is what's important that we see and understand these things. This uh, judgment's eternal, okay? It says that, Proverbs 16, 4, God has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. Wow. That's, there's other verses like that. Those are, those are hard ones to understand, but God is sovereign. Psalm 98, 9, the Lord is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness. This speaks of God's judgment of people on this earth at the end of this age. This is called the day of the Lord. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a just judgment. It's massive. It's devastating. You read about this in Revelation 8, 9, and 16, but it is true. And again, this is amazing. Here God, right through the hands of John, wrote this about 2,000 years ago, what's written there in Revelation. I'm talking about the judgment, 8, 9, and 16. And it's going to happen just like he said. Just like you said. I mean, people read on. I, I, I'm not, I have to say, I'm not, I've told you, I'm not a reader of fiction. I just like to read truth or 
history or biographies. That's me. I'm not saying you can't read fiction, but I love the truth. What's true and right? And this is true. This is prophetic truth. It's going to happen. Wow. Let's tell people. There will be people, and maybe people you know, that will be on earth when the day of the Lord comes. Okay? I don't know when he's coming. I think it's sometime. I know it's in the future. I just don't know exactly when. But there very well may be people on this earth who are alive now. And if they've not turned to Christ, not repented of their sins, they will face the day of the Lord. That's what's going to happen. Revelation 20, 11 to 15, I'm not going to read it, but this is God's final judgment of people who've sinned against him, again, who've not repented of their sin. It says there in verse 15, and if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Matthew 25, 41 says a similar thing. Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. God is sovereign over life and over death. Let's talk about spiritual growth just for a minute. God is sovereign over your spiritual life. It'll make sure you make it to heaven. We all have difficulties, troubles, struggles, trials, sin, all this stuff. God is sovereign. For a true believer, by his grace, for his glory, for your good, you're going to make it, okay? 1 Corinthians 1, 6, just a couple of verses on this aspect. I planted Apollos water, but God was causing the growth. Encouraging verses. They speak of, again, our responsibility. What's it say here? You plant and you water. In God's sovereignty, he causes the growth. That's what happens. We, about, a, about a month ago, Marsh and I were planting just a few trees, and uh, two fig trees, and, and a moringa tree. And I was just noticing, particularly the moringa tree, just the other day, I said, man, this thing is growing. It's about doubled in size. And I've been watering. You know, they say the first you know, two weeks, you water every morning. And you back off every two, we're in the two day, every two days. Now I'm watering. And pretty soon I'll be fertilizing too. So I'm watering. I says, man, God's causing growth. This, how'd these leaves come up? How'd this happen? How did it grow six, eight more inches? This is amazing. I, I, that's why I like growing things. It's just, see God's work. We plant, we water. God causes the growth. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Again, this speaks of God's sovereignty. For, for what, did, what did Paul say? I am what I am by the grace of God. But then what did he say? I worked harder than all the rest. Now, it's important to understand because some people say, well, yeah, if you really believe that sovereignty stuff, man, you're just going to sit back and kick your feet up and just have a good old time. And Okay, God, you go to work, whatever. If you understand God's sovereignty right and you know who God is and he gives you commands and gives you a purpose, you're going to do what he wants you to do. And that's what Paul did. Okay? The sovereignty of God should never cause you to be a lazy person. Never. An idle person. Never. It should stir you. Wow, I want to keep carrying out God's purposes. Knowing that as you're carrying out his purpose, that's what God wants you to do. It's a wonderful thing. It, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful, important truth. We continue on. God's sovereign over your spiritual growth. God will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. One of my favorite verses on this aspect that God will keep us going. Good verse about God's sovereignty. He'll make sure that you make it to heaven. Philippians 1, 6 is a similar verse. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion till the day of Christ Jesus. Again, we see that God will make sure you make it through this life, that you'll be fully saved, because right now you're not fully saved because you don't have a new body, the physical part. This is encouraging. Because if you're truly saved, God will keep you saved, and then you'll be in heaven someday, and then you'll be fully saved sometime. Because people go to heaven right now, if somebody dies, Christian, go today, they're not glorified. That doesn't happen to the end of this age when Christ comes back. That's what we know to happen. So, but it's, God's going to do it. Turn to Jude. We know these verses, but these are phenomenal verses again. Jude 24, 25, right before the book of Revelation, end of the chapter. God's sovereignty. God's power. His wisdom. His love, his goodness, all these things. I mentioned this in the last week or two, or a couple weeks ago, whenever it was, a few weeks ago. That God's sovereignty, he's sovereign because he is wise and he is powerful. And all these different aspects of God's character, his attributes, combine together then to give God the ability to be sovereign. Verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. God is sovereign over your life. Then what happens? 
To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, the Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So the result of seeing that God is sovereign over your life is what? God gets the glory. Lots of glory. All time, before all time, and now and forever. That's what we see. Turn to Isaiah. Some of my favorite verses on sovereignty. Really big picture verses. Isaiah 46, 8 through 10. Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 11. Remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past? For I am God, there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken. Truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely. I will do it. Aren't they good verses? Oh, you, you hang on to these. These are great. For a number of points, I got seven different thoughts from these verses. First of all, God knows everything that's going to happen. He's omniscient. He's got perfect knowledge. But he says he knows the end from the beginning. Okay? That's, that's amazing. God knows how everything will start and how everything will finish. For example, your life. You were born on a certain day. You don't remember that day. The first week, first month. You don't remember the first year or two, right? First, maybe when you're four or five, you remember something, okay? Point is, God knew everything, beginning days. Then you keep going through life. He knows everything. All these things, you remember some things, and the older you get, you sort of forget some of these things, but you remember some things, but God knows everything that's happened from beginning to the end, and you don't know how your life's going to end, right? You don't know it all. God knows the beginning from the end and everything in between because he knows things. And secondly, with that, God knows what will happen from beginning to end, because he planned it out, right? Because he's sovereign. He planned it out. God knows exactly what's going to happen in this entire world, in this country, and in your entire life. Everything from beginning to end, he knows it all. Next, God plans things out because he has a specific purpose he wants to accomplish with God. Things don't just happen. They don't just happen. God has a reason, a purpose for everything. These verses here in Ephesians 1, 10. It's around there. It says, God works all things after the counsel of his will with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. That's where we're going. That's, that's I mean, you can talk about big picture purposes. That's one of them. There's others, but that's, that's a huge one. The summing up of all things in Christ is what God is going to do. He has that purpose in mind. God then fulfills his purposes. He does everything he pleases to do, everything he plans out. And if God purposes something, if God plans something, then he is going to carry it out. That's what these verses say, and that's what we know happens. There's no doubt about that. Next, God uses people to carry out his purposes, and animals too. You get this, this nice little picture here. He just sort of throws it in. He's going to use this bird, call this bird of prey, you know. It reminds me of Revelation 19, 17, and 18, future, about the future. And it's, it's during the, the um, bold judgments, I believe, and a lot of God's judging. And, it's, and it says that the angel calls all these birds together to come for the great supper of God because there's these dead people and the birds are going to have a great feast. Oh, all those birds. God's got them all figured out. He knows which birds are going to come. The angel will call them, they'll come, they'll have their, their fill. That's what's going to happen. And so God uses people, he uses animals. But you know what's interesting? God doesn't have to use people. God doesn't have to use animals. God doesn't have to use events. God could do everything himself. I, I'm not, not sure how that works, but God wants to use us, right? He used angels. Read that in the end of Psalm 103. God uses angels. He uses people. And so God wants to use you. And, I, and I've, I've said this so many times in the past that just remember this. God wants to use you. He's got purpose and plan for your life. As long as you're alive, he's got purpose. And if you die and I do your funeral, I'll probably say, well, that person's purpose is over. In a good way. It's a good thing, okay? You must understand that. That's, that's important to know that. 
Next, what God said in these verses show that God is God and that he's sovereign over every single thing. And finally, and related to that, the principles outlined in these verses relate to everything and everything in your life. So you read through this, and it helps. Wow, this is sort of a picture of what God's doing. God's got it all planned out for your life, the end from the beginning. He's going to bring it about. And again, this doesn't take away your responsibility. I have to say that again. I'm stressing the sovereignty of God in these three messages on God's sovereignty. And we must stress it. We must see that God is God. So many people don't. We live in such a man-centered world, and even in churches. And I won't go into that. I've got a situation I'm talking about. There's church, and it's a, more of a man-centered church. Yeah, but what can God do for you? No. We're, we're a God-centered church. By God's grace, to whatever degree, God helps us do that. A Christ-centered church where he then gets all the glory. So today we've talked about how God is sovereign over people's lives, over your life, over Jesus' life, over physical life, physical death, over your spiritual growth. He's sovereign over every, every single thing. And it's vital, and I, and I must stress this, it's vital for your life as a Christian, for your growth, your success, your blessing as a Christian, that you understand that God is sovereign over the entirety of your life, all the years past, all the years to come. He's sovereign over every single day and everything that happens on every single day. God is sovereign. I don't know where you're at and you're learning this truth. I assume that all of you know this to some degree, but God wants you to understand it more and more. And when you really learn this truth, you'll be more humbled and God will be more exalted. That's the fact. I've shared many verses, many examples of God is to be glorified. The Lord gave, the Lord take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the truth. God will be exalted as you learn this truth. You'll, you'll then exalt God more, you'll love more, and you'll be filled with more faith and more hope and more joy and more peace. Because if you don't, man, you're going to be troubled, a troubled soul. You've been, what's going on in my life? What's going on in this world? You have to see that God's in control, complete control, total control. And he's working it all together for your good, for his purposes, his glory. That's what's going on. I want to give one application and then one final verse. The application is, is relatively simple, or the assignment. Let me say it that way. I want you to take some time, whether it's 15 minutes or 20 or 30. You might take a long time. You might take a short. I don't know. Where you review your life, okay? You go back over the whole thing. And so for me, that means the 50s, born in 53, the 50s, and the 60s, and the 70s, and the 80s, and the 90s, what some people call the aughts, the teens, and the 20s, okay? Just take some time. I'm not saying think about everything, but just what are the main things that, for me that happened in the 50s? What are the main things that happened in the 60s for my life, the 70s? I, just, I, do, I do this often, just to review. I say, okay, got the big picture again. Do that, Okay? The second thing I want you to do for the whole next week, and really you should do it every day. And then every day, whether you're going to bed at 9 or 10 or 11, whatever, or 12, take three or four minutes, maybe five. It won't take that long. Think back over that day and think about how God was sovereign in your life. Think about what happened. Think about how God was working. Just take the time every day. This is important. And so many times we're just going along and we don't think, think, and thank Bless God because he's sovereign. So two things. Think back over your life. Take 20, 30 minutes sometime today or tomorrow. I wouldn't wait till next week, not until next Saturday night. This is a simple thing. We do so many things. But might we do the things of God, and God wants us to be thinking about his works. That's Psalm 77, to meditate on what he has done in the past, seeing that God is sovereign. And then this week, taking that time, it'll help you. It'll help you. It might even help your sleep. Sometimes you go to bed with a troubled soul and we don't think about how God is good and God is sovereign. God's working all things together for good. Daniel chapter 4, I've read this before, but this is such a phenomenal verse. You know the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Now he wasn't doing good. God <laughs> made him like an animal for seven years. Okay. And so when he comes to his senses, what does Nebuchadnezzar say. What does he say? 
he says that God is sovereign, okay, and he gives the glory to God. That's what happens. At the end of that period, that seven-year period, verse 34, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. My reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His dominion endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We bless you for your, your word, your truth. So many examples, and we just were skimming the surface here about how you are sovereign. And I, and I pray that more and more we'd see as we read your word, these verses here, we review them or think about them, Lord, or as we just discover your sovereignty as in our own reading time, in our own study of the word, that God, that God you encourage us. And help us to see this, and then we would then be ones to see it relates to your purpose and your glory and for our good. Help us, Father. There are going to be things that happen in the next week or two that we're not going to like, whether something in the world or our city or in our own personal life. Some disaster is going to take place. Some calamity in the future, for sure, it's going to happen. God, you're sovereign. Help us to see this. Help us to know that you're in control. Help us see that you're part of, this is part of your purpose. But particularly then for our own lives, I pray, Lord, help them each here and those listening online. As they think about the years of their life, they go back through the decades, Lord, they see, look at God did. Look at God did. And the fact that you are here today in this room is because God brought you here. God is sovereign. All these things. And it's for your purposes and for your glory and for our good. But thank you again for this church. I thank you for leading. Just help us, help us, protect us, encourage us, strengthen us. We need you. Just pray your continued working and give us health for those who aren't healthy, Lord. Give us strength. Give us grace if, if it's a chronic difficulty, Lord, to keep going for you, knowing that you give us all the grace we need. As it says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, your grace is sufficient for power is perfected in weakness. We thank you for that. So thank you for each one here. Use this, God, as a church for your purpose. Lead us individually as families, collectively here, Father. Just help us. Protect us, Lord, from evil. We all are tempted every week, maybe every day. Probably so. Just help us, Lord, to turn to you, to be filled with truth and with your spirit, and be then doing what you want us to do, be thinking what you want us to think and saying what you want us to say. But thank you for this church. Thank you for Bethel. Pray for them. Pray your blessing upon them this this, this uh, plan that you gave us, I believe, as a church, talked about a few weeks ago. Pray for this transition, Lord, with Bethel, that you worked it out for your glory. We trust you in that, too. But thank you again now for this time. Thank you that we can be together in fellowship and worship. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.